center stage. Bible. You're married, that's why. Nothing so can fun. squash your, your joy. We're going to rock up to Jesus. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We ask, Lord Jesus, God, that uh, right now you would speak to our hearts. You quiet our minds, our emotions from the distractions of the week, the distractions of today, the fears, the anxieties, the worries, Father, that are on our hearts. And that, God, you'd give us grace to worship you with our minds, Father. And so we give you this time. And um, as you're there in your seat, I want to encourage you to have a little conversation with God just wherever you are and uh, your relationship with him and your spiritual journey and maybe in the quietness of your seat there, you would just say something like this to him. Say, Lord, speak to me today. Lord, speak to me today. And then say this, for Lord, I intend to obey. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right. Well, um, we're in the series on Thessalonians. Thessalonians and Second uh, Thessalonians is called Peace to the End. And this is the second letter that Paul wrote to the church. There it was a church plant. And um, in fact, the second letter was probably written just a few weeks, maybe in even some months after he had uh, wrote the first letter. And uh, they were dealing with some struggles. And then it seems like they had more struggles. And so he writes the second letter helping them. And there are three problems that he deals with. The first problem, which we talked about last week, was persecution. They were being attacked. Uh, they were being killed and murdered for their faith. They were being kicked out of homes and jobs. Uh, they were being denied access to services, all because of their faith in Jesus. And uh, so he writes to encourage them in that and how their love is growing despite the fact they're being attacked by people in their city. How, how, how their faith is growing, and, and it's amazing. And then in the second chapter, he's going to deal with false teachers. And, um, and we're going to see what the false teachers are, are teaching here as Greg read uh, the, the scripture there for us. And then at the end of this book in chapter three, he's going to talk about uh, just kind of idle Christians and Christians that are being lazy and, and led astray and, and, and their actions. But today, the title of today's message is this, how not to be deceived, how not to be deceived. Are you a person who gets deceived easily? I know some of us are a little more gullible than others, right? And uh, maybe you find yourself in that camp. Um, but, you know, I think it's kind of easy to be deceived if we're honest. I want to show you a picture of some folks here who uh, look like normal folks. This is, uh, um, let's see, we'll get it up on the screen there. There we go. This is Marshall Applewhite and Betty Nettles. Maybe you know them. Maybe you don't. He was a son of a Presbyterian minister, uh, went to school, went to high school, was involved in church. He went to college, got his bachelor's degree in philosophy in 1952. And then subsequently enrolled at Union Presbyterian Seminary to study theology, hoping to become a minister like his dad. He married Anne and um, Pierce around that time, and they later had two children. 
Um, after uh, doing some of his seminary studies to become a minister, he decided and figured that God was calling him to a different calling, and that was to the calling of music. And so he um, became the music director at a Presbyterian church in North Carolina and began uh, some studies related to that. He was a baritone singer. He loved spirituals and the music of Handel. And, um, but then in 1954, he was drafted uh, by the United States Army and served there for a number of years. Um, and then as he came back, he re-enrolled in the university, uh, went to the University of Colorado, uh, where he got a master's degree in music. And, um, and then uh, he taught uh, at the University of Alabama and uh, taught music and a variety of different things there. He left this position uh, there at the University of Alabama underneath uh, some accusations about some inappropriate relationships. And, um, and then his uh, marriage started to crumble and was later divorced. He moved to Houston, Texas in 1965 and taught at the University of St. Thomas there in Texas. But his students loved him, appreciated him, regarded him as an engaging teacher and a stylish dresser. He served as the chair of his department, the music department, and became a very popular local singer. Also serving in another church um, there in the local community and performing regularly at the Houston Grand Opera. He eventually met this other lady in the picture, Betty Nettles. She was a nurse taking care of people, helping people. Uh, they both had a love, though, for biblical prophecy as they started to study the Bible and read all kinds of other books and, and get engaged in all sorts of ideologies. Uh, this biblical prophecy started to take center stage in their lives. And in fact, they believed that God had given them visions, special visions that God had given only to them. They started a Christian bookstore and uh, they concluded uh, that they had been giving a higher level minds than other people. And so they began to speak and write and, and get pamphlets and began to attract followers all around uh, the different places they live. They even wrote a pamphlet and, and began to tell people that Jesus Christ had returned. He had returned, and he returned in a reincarnated form of a Texas man who looked just like this man. And of course, this man said, oh no, Jesus was just the body. What we're really talking about is the mind of God, the mind that God sent. And that same mind is in me. My father has sent me now to give you a fuller revelation of understanding. As he began to attract more and more followers, they began to study prophecy and talk about the book of Revelation. They believed, Marshall and this lady Betty, believed that they were actually also the two witnesses who had come in the end times uh, that are spoken about in the book of Revelation. So they began to refer to themselves as the two. Um, they also referred to themselves as Doe and T from the musical language. You guys can figure that out if you watch Sound of Music. Um, I don't really know all that stuff. They believed that, as it says in the book of Revelation, they would be killed publicly and then resurrected in full view of Others. This would be called a demonstration of their power and prove their claims. Who could these people be as they began to gather a following? You may know them as the leaders of the cult Heaven's Gate. And um, I think we got a picture there. Maybe you've seen this. And uh, their, their little um, tagline down there is difficult to read, but it says, As was promised, the keys to Heaven's Gate are here again in T and O. That's the UFO, too, as they were in Jesus and his father 2,000 years ago. See how it's got a cute little rhyme? You see what they're saying? They're saying they are Jesus, the Messiah, back 
on the earth. You think, how could people believe this? But people did. In fact, they began to believe this so much so that they believed in 1997. Folks, I'm not talking about like hundreds of years ago. I'm talking about 1997. That's just about 23 years ago. And um, these folks had money. Uh, they had people. And uh, they had their followers in a nice ranch in California. And they had convinced them that as the Hale-Bopp comet was coming uh, around near Earth's orbit, there was a spaceship hiding behind that comet, and that if they were to take their own lives, they would be resurrected, and they would be on that spaceship and would go to heaven because the rest of Earth was going to be recycled, as he put it, and, um, and they would be the only ones who met it. In fact, they had special suits that they wore. You may be familiar with this. Uh, special suits they wore, the, the black uh, pants and shirts. They even had a patch that said, away team. They had a patch made. And um, they took poison, um, and they actually did it in groups. And they, they did this in a couple groups. They took poison, and then some of the members would help make sure a plastic bag was around their fellow member's head, that in case the poison didn't work fully, they would uh, asphyxiate. Uh, in other words, not be able to breathe. And then once they were sure they did, they put a purple cloak over them, and then it was their turn. And they took the poison, and they laid down, and then someone else put a bag over their head, and they went on and on and on. And they did this willingly, watching each other die, um, until finally the last person did it. She was the only one that was found in the home without the purple cloak. I think we got a picture there. It's nothing too gruesome, but this is uh, what the police found uh, when they came. It was actually several weeks that the police were called after somebody had uh, said, hey, we think uh, one of our family members is uh, involved in this, and, and uh, the smell obviously was pretty crazy. But how does this happen? I think there's another picture there of Marshall Applewhite. Maybe this is the picture you're more familiar with seeing. Uh, Heaven's Gate and this cult. How, does, how do people get deceived into this, you say? There were 39 people. 39. Not 39 homeless people. Not 39 people who, who had no education. These were computer engineers. In fact, in the early 90s, as the internet boomed, these were some of the first people who were doing internet selling and internet ministry. And they were gaining significant money from their internet. Uh, there was a teacher. There was a stay-at-home mom. There was an architect. 39 people. How could they be deceived? Well, they could be deceived because if you don't know the truth, you will fall for a lie in a heartbeat. So the question for all of us is, how well do you know the truth? There's a couple other pictures. We'll, we'll make this a little easier, a little more fun, right? Uh, go ahead and go to the next picture there, Joe. And um, there we go. Which, which figure is bigger, top or bottom? You guys have seen this one before, right? You know I'm trying to trick you. But your eyes look at it and you're like, the one on the bottom's bigger, right? But it's because of the way your eyes work. Um, there are some red uh, cards. In fact, we have a bunch of these, and um, I, 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 I don't know where they are. Uh, go to the next one. There's a red and blue one. Yeah. Which one's bigger? Yeah. They're the same. But, man, that red one looks bigger. And uh, even if you were to compare them, and, and maybe I'll, I'll find them and bring them. I got a whole package somewhere. And um, they, they look bigger in your hand when you compare them. But it's because of the way our eyes are. We can be deceived into all kinds of things if you don't know the truth. Now, you, you caught on because you know the truth. You, you've seen these little illusions before. You've taken some tests or something like that, right? And you know they're the same. But if you had not known that, it would be very easy to believe a lie. And so as we talk about the Thessalonians here and this chapter, we're, we're navigating 
what they were dealing with. And they were freaking out because they were false teachers trying to deceive them. They were false teachers trying to get them to believe to a lie. And they, they had a fever. They had a fever, y'all. They had a sickness, not the coronavirus. No, they had a sickness. I like to call it rapture fever. And it still happens today. Some Christians can get so caught up in the return of Christ. And, and when is he coming back? And, and look, there are signs and there are whole ministries and churches that dedicate themselves to this. And you see them on TV. Jesus is going to come back on this day. Or this is a sign because this is happening over in this nation and in Russia and, and, and this and that. And, and this is a sign and this is a biblical prophecy fulfilled. And people can just start to get this fever and be freaking out. And Paul is saying, you don't need that kind of fever. You need to know the truth. And rest in the fact that God is in control. But so many people just get out of balance. And this is what Paul is writing to because these people were being deceived. They were like, it's Chicken Little, right? Have you seen Chicken Little? The sky is falling. The sky is falling. They were freaking out. How many of us, though, freak out from time to time, right? So let's look at the text here. I'll give you a couple points. How not to be deceived. Number one, you can write this down, is don't fear the reports. Don't fear the reports. These Thessalonians, these new believers were getting reports about Jesus had already returned. The end of the world is here. Look at this happening. Look at that happening. And they were anxious. They were worried. There were wars and rumors of wars. Armageddon is coming, the mark of the beast and 666. And man, you got to look out. And they were freaking out. Look what happens in verses one and two here. Just simply says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him. That's, that's what we would call the rapture, taken back up to heaven, the second coming, right? We ask you, brothers, we ask you what? To get a chart with the book of Daniel and Revelation and the beast and the false prophet and all that stuff. He doesn't say get a chart, does he? He doesn't say buy a book for 1899 from whoever on TV. He says, no, he says, we ask you, brothers, to not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. What is he saying? He's saying, don't be freaking out. Don't be, look at those words there, shaken in mind. In Greek there, it's actually um, the the blowing. It's a motion caused by the blowing of the wind. There's a wind of coming. There's somebody saying this. Look out for this. Oh, the coronavirus is here. It's evidence of God's judgment and the end is coming. And, and it's like, man, we're, we're shaken by all these things and our mind gets anxious and it gets worried and nervous. He says, don't be like that believer. Don't be freaked out. Maybe you could say off balance or unsettled or upset. Or as the young people like to say it, they were shook. So go ahead, reach your neighbor and tell them they were shook. Go ahead. That's just, that's, that's what they tell me. That's Lydia's favorite word, by the way. She just rolled her eyes at me like, don't say that, Dad. Don't say that. That's what happens when you roll your eyes. I love you. That's my firstborn. She's the best. They were shook. They were shook. They were shook. But then it also says this, to not be shook or be what? Alarmed. This is afraid. This is anxious. Like, oh, my gosh, this is happening. They're jumpy. They were troubled. He's saying, do not be like that. Do not be jumpy, alarmed, troubled, anxious. Why? 
I don't need to fear these reports because I know if you were here last week, I know how this story ends. This story ends with victory for the believer. This story ends with victory for, for Jesus Christ. All the powers of hell, all, all the forces of evil and darkness will be defeated. So no matter what really happens, I know how this story ends. So I don't need to be afraid. In fact, if you, if you take this, book, this little piece of Thessalonians here and compare it with the rest of the Bible, you see that it lines up almost identical. And Jesus says the same thing. In fact, over in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, listen to what Jesus says about these very same things. In the Gospel of Matthew 24, verses 3 through 8, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Right? This is not a new question, right? We want to know. Tell us the sign. And Jesus says, he answered, See to it that no one leads you astray. Right? In other words, don't be deceived. That's exactly what Paul's saying. Don't be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. Hey, listen, a plain reading of the Bible tells you, if someone comes to the earth and claims they are Jesus Christ, they're crazy. Right? Look at the verse. It, 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 right? Jesus is telling you, if someone tells you that, they're a liar. And so all of these cult leaders often say the same thing. And if we would just be a person who loves the truth. And, and again, I'm not telling you you got to have a doctorate degree in theology. Just a plain reading of the Bible. You see that as clear as I do, right? See to it that no one leads you straight. Look at verse 5. For many will come in my name. Verse 5, verse 5. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many straight. Then verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see that you are not what? Same exact word. Jesus is reminding us, see that you are not alarmed. You're not freaked out by this. For this must take place. But the end is not yet. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus is saying, don't be alarmed. Don't be freaked out about this. Don't fear the reports about the end times. But also don't fear about the return of Jesus. Later on in that same chapter, Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says this. He told people plainly, but concerning the day or the hour, how many people know when he's going to return? No one. You didn't, need a, you didn't need a degree to tell you that, right? You just, no one knows the day or the hour. So people have made millions trying to twist the minds of people, making money, seeking power, telling people Jesus is going to return, dot, 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 right? It's happened. You've heard it. I've heard it. Jesus is going to return. If you would just read the Bible, right? And that's what we can send them. Even, even our, our own local Pat Robertson made a claim about Jesus was going to return then. And it was wrong. Why is it wrong? Because the Bible says clearly no one knows. So if you have someone coming to you saying, I know when he's going to return, you just got to say, hey, look, I love you. In the name of Jesus, can you read Matthew uh, 24, verse 36? And if they tell you I got a higher revelation, you need to say, uh, please get behind me, Satan, and I love you, but something is leading you astray. In fact, we're going to see that in just a second here. Look at, look, look at what the rest of um, uh, Jesus said there uh, in Matthew 24, verses 23 through 27. He says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is. What does Jesus say? Do not believe it, for false Christ, false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform Great signs of wonder, so as to lead astray, if possible. That's a helpful word there. 
if possible, even the elect. In other words, those who truly believe can't be led astray because you know the truth. And you're like, nope, I don't have to be the smartest cookie in the bag. But I, I, I understand no one knows the day or time. I know that if you come here claiming that you're Jesus, nope, you're not really him. Verse 25, he says, see, I have told you beforehand. Don't you love that? Jesus says, see, I told you beforehand, I'm warning you, these crazy people are going to come and try to freak you out. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say to you, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. What's he saying there? Have you seen lightning in the sky? Yeah? Have y'all seen lightning? Everybody here seen lightning? You see it, it lights up the sky, right? East to the west. Like, brown. You can see it when you're watching the whole sky. Jesus is saying, when I return, you're going to see it, folks. The sky is going to crack. Every place on planet Earth is going to know the trumpet has sounded and Jesus Christ has arrived. It's very clear in the Bible. It's going to be public. It's going to be visible. It's not going to be this hidden thing that only a certain group of select people have this special knowledge for. You see, there's all kinds of crazy people out there. Again, people have claimed that they were the Christ. We could go through the list of people. The Rastafarians, founder Hale Salis, claimed that he was Jesus Christ reincarnated. Sun Mung Moon from the Unification Church in Korea claimed that he was Jesus Christ back on the earth. Jim Jones, the People's Temple who took a whole group of people to Guyana. Charles Manson, David Koresh, the Bob of the Baha'i faith, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, founder Charles Taze Russell predicted that Jesus returned in the 1840s, and he did not. And then so he had to amend that. And so he said, uh, oh, yeah, he, he did return, but he returned secretly. He's really among us and walking around among us. And you can see how these false prophets, and, and you could Google it just as well as I could. You could take a whole list of people who have claimed the return of Jesus or claimed that they were Jesus back in the place they were the Messiah. And all we got to do, folks, is just look back at the scriptures, right? So I, I saw this picture. In fact, there was some, something trending on Twitter last week about the end times. And, uh, and so someone sends you their um, weather report and saying, end times weather is here. You know you don't have to believe it, right? If, if that's what you see on your calendar uh, when you check your phone about the weather, uh, you know you don't have to believe it, right? It's, it's okay. Um, uh, and then, and then uh, I saw this one. This one made me laugh. Uh, the next one here is this lady. Um, she said, I don't want to brag or anything, but this is like the fifth end of the world I've survived. Uh, right? You know how people are always claiming, you know, the Mayan calendar, the end here and there. No one knows. No one knows. Listen, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It still is imminent, meaning it could happen today, folks. It could happen this afternoon. It could happen in the middle of this service. The key thing is, do you know the truth and are you ready? Because once you know the truth and you're ready, you're not afraid of that. So you don't fear the reports. Back to 2 Thessalonians. Look with me at that same verse there about being alarmed. That's verse 2. It says, do not be quickly shaken in your mind or alarmed. Watch this because apparently this was coming to the Thessalonians through three things here. It was coming by a spirit. What does that mean? Maybe some kind of demonic spirit, maybe some kind of prophecy, maybe a demon-possessed person was coming, claiming they had visions from God. They had a special prophecy about something. Maybe that's what it means. But it was a demonic spirit. Uh, maybe it came through a report, right? That's what he says there, through a spoken word. 
and, they, and, and we just take that to mean somebody's going around saying, yeah, Jesus returned, the end is near, all that sort of stuff. And, and then also notice, or a letter, notice what he says, or a letter that, that seemingly to be from us. This was common in the biblical days that people would falsify letters and, and say, hey, this is from Paul. And, uh, and to me, this is one of the other reasons why the Bible is so amazing because there were a lot of fake letters going around. But as the eyewitnesses, now listen, Second uh, Thessalonians is written in about 50 AD. This is about 20 years after Jesus was crucified, folks. So there were eyewitnesses to be able to say, hey, no, this is true. This is not true. There are many people who say, oh, no, the Bible is just the books of the Bible that, that certain people, power-hungry people wanted to have in there. If you're familiar with the book or the movie, The Da Vinci Code, that was sort of the, the, the theory behind that, is that there were other true books, uh, different gospels, and, and, and they just wanted to shut those down that told the truth. No, the opposite is what happened. The people who knew the truth, the eyewitnesses were still alive, and they got that letter, and they were like, nope, that's not how it happened. Throw that in the trash. Uh, because there were other people who were power hungry, who were trying to deceive others, and, and they would say these outlandish things and say crazy things to, to gain the curiosity of people. Because right when you hear something curious, you're like, oh, that's different. And that's how people began to, to believe these cults and these heresies. And so don't fear the reports. That's point number one. Don't fear the reports about the end times, about the return of Jesus, about Armageddon. Don't fear that. Third, secondly is don't fear the rebellion. Don't fear the rebellion. This is where the heat gets turned up a little bit here. Don't fear the rebellion. There will be an increasing wickedness on our earth, folks. There will be great suffering and tribulation. It, it does lie ahead. Evil will not prevail, though. Evil will not win. It may look like it's winning. It may look like, oh, gosh, things are getting worse. But you need to know that God is still in control. And so I don't need to fear the rebellion that begins to happen. When it happens in our cities, I don't need to be shaken in my mind. I don't need to be alarmed because Jesus already told me how the story would play out. And so look at verse 3. Verse 3, he says this, Let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. The rebellion... This means a great apostasy. We take this to mean a great um, turning away or a forsaking, an aggressive wholesale revolt against God and all the things that are good and true and beautiful and noble. That's going to happen. I hate to tell you that, but it will. The Greek word is actually apostasy, where we get our word apostasy or apostate, which simply means a turning away. People are going to be turning away from God, turning away from the things that are good. And so... Again, if we were to compare with what Jesus said, the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 9, says this. says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. That's what we call apostasy. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And verse 12 says, and because lawlessness will be increased, watch this, the love of many will grow cold. But then look at verse 13. This is the promise. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, true believers are ones who endure to the end. True believers are ones who, whose love doesn't grow cold. True believers are the ones that are not led astray. Why? Because they know the truth and they continue to cling to it. 
So we don't need to fear this rebellion. We're secure in Christ. The Bible says that once you're saved, you're always saved. John chapter 17 says, anyone who is in the hand of Christ cannot be plucked out of the hand of Christ. And so we don't need to fear that, that we would somehow lose it because guess what? Salvation is a gift from God. You didn't earn that gift. He gave it to you. And so therefore it won't be taken away. And so you're secure. The eternal security of the believer, the perseverance of the saints is very clearly taught throughout the scriptures that you're going to survive this. You're going to hold fast. And, and there are all kinds of ideas about the return of Christ and the Antichrist. And we're going to get to that. And, and there are people that say, when does this happen? And people can get freaked out about that, right? Some of you probably have no clue what I'm talking about, but some of you may have been around church for a while and you know there, are, there there's a millennium reign of Christ. And, and there are different beliefs about he will reign for a thousand years, but we're not sure when that happens. So they call it um, you know, pre-millennial and, and, uh, or post-millennial or all-millennial. And then even the rapture would come. And when will the rapture come? Before this seven years of tribulation that the book of Revelation talks about. So they would be called uh, you know, um, pre-tribulation. And then there are people who are mid-tribulation. And there are people who are post-tribulation. No, no, the church will be raptured. The church will have to go through the tribulation and, and, and revelation. And then Jesus will rapture us up and, and then he'll come. And that can get all kinds of confusing. People can freak out about that and go all day long. I had a pastor tell me this when I was young. He said, I'm not pre-trib, post-trib. He said, I am, I am ah-trib. I'm ah-millennial. I'm not, I'm not pre-millennial, post-millennial. I am, I am pan-millennial. I said, pan-millennial? I've never heard of that, pan-millennial. Is that, is that like in the theology textbooks? He said, I'm pan-millennial. I said, what does that mean? He goes, in the end, it'll all pan out just fine. I thought, that's, that's a good word, brother. That's some wisdom there. Because what happens is people start to get into this. And you start looking for these crazy little details in the Bible, looking for something extra, reading all kinds of commentaries that people write. And those are man's opinions. And, and, we, and instead of just sticking to the fact that God is working, God is sovereign, and he is going to wrap up the end of time, and believers are going to be secure, and he is going to bring history to a close, and he's going to defeat Satan, I can just be secure instead of being like, oh, what is it? What is it? Mark of the beast, is it coming for me? I can have security, and I cannot be deceived. So don't fear the rebellion. Let's look at the rest of, of verses 3 through 5 here, and look at this man of rebellion, this man of lawlessness there. It says this, right? For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. That's the apostasy, the turning away, and the man of lawlessness, or the Antichrist, is revealed. He's called the son of destruction. And then if you look at the rest of the verses there, it tells you a little bit about him. This person, the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be what? God. This is the Antichrist. It sounds kind of scary. Yes, he's wicked. Yes, he's going to have power. In fact, if, you, if, uh, if we were to look at verses 9 through 10, uh, just a little bit down in the text there, it says the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. He's going to do signs and wonders and, and miracles. He's going to deceive people with false. Remember, he's called the Antichrist or false Christ. So, so again, I, I'm concerned that some of these uh, religious cult leaders are a precursor to the Antichrist because they may do some signs and wonders. Just because someone does signs and wonders doesn't mean they're empowered by God. You might go to a service where somebody gets healed, and that may not be a healing from the Holy Spirit. And so you need to know that it's not just God who has 
sign, the, the, the enemy can do signs and wonders, and, and you need to be a person who loves the truth and discerns. But I need you to know this is nothing new. This is nothing new, nothing to get freaked out about. Over in, in 1 John, John wrote to us in chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, he says, children, children, it is the last hour, as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. But then he says, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. In other words, yeah, when people do that apostasy thing and turn away, that means they weren't genuinely saved in the first place. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might become plain that they were not, they are not all of us. And, and what's he saying here about many antichrists have already come? Uh, there are all kinds of people, right, who, who people get pegged as the antichrist. Even before Jesus was on the scene, uh, there, there was a, uh, an event that happened in the temple of Jerusalem because it talks about he will take his seat in the temple here, proclaiming himself to be God. Um, in in uh, the, Antiochus IV, he was a Syrian king in 169 BC. He put a statue of Zeus in the temple of Jerusalem and slaughtered a pig there. But this happened before Christ. And so what they're saying is there are many people who represent the Antichrist. That's what um, uh, 1 John is telling us. Here. There are many people who may have that same evil, wicked spirit, but they're not the one. Because God is going to allow that one to come at the appointed time, right? In fact, if you look at the text, that's what we're going to look at next. But if you want to devote today, and people do this all the time. You've had some friends that do this. Maybe you've been guilty of this. They go and say, hey, who, who, who could be the Antichrist? In the early days, it was the Roman emperor. Man, he's lighting Christians on fire. He's the Antichrist. Then it, then it was Muhammad. Man, he's, he's attacking people. He's the Antichrist. Then it was, man, the church is wicked. The Pope is leading the church. So the, the Pope is the Antichrist. The Pope was called the Antichrist many times. In fact, they called the, the entire, all the popes, it's called the papacy. They said all of them are the Antichrist. And then for the people who like the Pope and are part of that religious tradition, they said, no, this dude, Martin Luther, this reformer from Germany, he's the Antichrist. He's leading people astray. It goes on and on. So if you want to pass around ballots today and put your favorite vote for who the Antichrist is, you can do that. Napoleon was called the Antichrist. Hitler was called the Antichrist. Mussolini was called the Antichrist. Stalin, even in our modern times, some called Kennedy the Antichrist. Henry Kissinger the Antichrist. When I was going to college, people were all talking about this guy named Putin, you know, who is rising. He's a bear rising. From, and they were looking at all these Bible things like, well, Russia really may be called this in the Bible, even though Russia wouldn't exist in the Bible. Like, I think this new guy, he disappeared. I know where I think Putin is the Antichrist. There are people who say President Obama was the Antichrist. There are people who said that Trump is the Antichrist. There are people that say Oprah is the Antichrist. There are people that call pastors the Antichrist. There are people who have said the Southern Baptist Convention is committing apostasy and the entire Southern Baptist. It just goes on and on and on. The reality is we don't need to be afraid of this. Why? Because God has it on a timetable. And if you look at the rest of the verses, or look at verses 5 through 8, you'll see that that Antichrist is going to come on the scene. It will be known. It will be visible. Look at verses 5 through 8. It says this. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So in other words, the Thessalonians knew this. Paul had told them about this beforehand when he met with them. Verse 6, and you know what is restraining him now. There is a restrainer so that he may be revealed when? In his time. When is Antichrist going to come? We don't know. He has a time. Who gives him that time? God, who is in control of the entire 
show. And there is a time when he will come. Look at verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That, that was, that's kind of what I would say is this demonic spirit, this mystery of lawlessness is already at work, maybe in the lives of Hitler and Mussolini and some of these other people, perhaps. I don't know. But it says, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then, verse 8, and then the lawless one will be what? Revealed. And so there's a restrainer. Some people say the restrainer they thought was the government because the government has been given authority by God to restrain evil. Um, some people say it's Satan. Many people, and I, I think the church and the Holy Spirit perhaps is, is the best conclusion there is restraining. But ultimately we know this. It's God who is holding back evil until it's appointed time. But don't fear him. Don't fear this rebel. Don't fear the Antichrist. Why? Because if you know the truth, you're on the winning team. And look how the game ends. Look at verse 8. The rest of verse 8, right? Okay? So, uh, and the lawless one will be revealed. He'll be revealed. And then the Lord Jesus will kill him with a machine gun, with an atomic bomb, with a laser sword. No. Jesus just comes and goes. That's it. Game over. Match done. TKO. Okay, it's 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 like it's not even a contest. The Bible says Jesus is going to come back wearing a white robe. I don't know about you, but the way I kind of grew up, if somebody comes to a fight wearing like white, they're pretty confident how the fight's going to end. Right. I'm not going to get a whole lot of blood on my shirt. I'm not not so sure what's going to happen to you. Jesus comes back and kills the Antichrist with the breath. Of his mouth. And then it says, and will bring to nothing by his very appearance. Just the appearance of Jesus is so magnificent, it's so powerful. It brings the Antichrist, the beast, Satan to nothing. Man, that's an encouraging verse. That's why I don't need to be afraid of the rebellion and the rebel about 666 and all that stuff. Because if I'm on team Jesus, I'm just in the back, like, go, Jesus. Just breathe on him. And then you're kind of like, man, I wish the fight lasted a little longer. I wish it would have been like a match. No, you wouldn't wish that. You'd be like, that was awesome. Better than a UFC fight. Better than some Conor McGregor. And so we don't need to fear the rebellion. So quickly and thirdly, let's move on to some. We got some don'ts, but let's, let's do some do. Some things we do need to do. Number three is do love the truth. Do love the truth. Because if you're going to be a person who is not going to get deceived, because honestly, as you think about this, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, you do need to be afraid of this stuff. This is some scary stuff. This is freaky. So if you're a person who does not love the truth, yeah, I would be very afraid. Because read Revelation, read the rest of the Bible, and, and you'll see very plainly, um, people are going to be crying out for rocks to fall on top of them. People are going to be crying out for God to cut short the days. People are going to be screaming. There is going to be great tribulation on the earth. So if you're not a lover of truth, you should be very afraid. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says this, verse 9, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with wicked deception. Wicked deception. He's going to deceive a whole lot of people. Wicked deception for those who are perishing. Because they refuse to what? To love the truth. Sir, do you love the truth? Ma'am, do you love the truth? Teenager, do you love the truth? 
Or do you love social media? Do you love Netflix? Do you love your garden? Do you love your job? Do you love your, your some other hobby more than you love the truth? That's a, a tough question. What is the truth? The truth is right here, folks. The truth is the Bible. It's enough. You don't need an extra book. In fact, that's another way some of these cults uh, gain followers and say, hey, look, we got a special revelation. We got a different book. It's called the Book of Mormon. And, and in our book has the advanced stuff. We've got a higher level of knowledge. And so you got to believe what's in our book. No, God has preserved his word. It is sufficient. It is supreme for all that we need. Do you love it? Maybe you've heard about how federal agents determine what is uh, counterfeit money and what is real money. In fact, we were just shopping uh, the other day over the old Plato's closet, and um, and they had a big sign at their cash register that says, "Please be aware of like slower lines because our employees are working with our bank to do a better job at finding counterfeit money." So this is still a problem today, and. Um, and maybe you've heard how uh, these federal employees and, and people are trained to uh, determine between counterfeit money and true money. How do they do that? Those federal employees spend all their time studying the real money. Don't spend any time worrying about the counterfeits. Because the more they know all the details of the truth, Oh, it's so much easier. As soon as they touch it, they're like, nope, touch that. Doesn't even, not even made of the same material. Oh, check out the light. Nope, doesn't have the strip. I know. I study the true money all day long, all night long. I can spot a fake from a mile away. I can sniff it out. And so I don't have to worry about it. So, sir or ma'am, do you love the truth? Do you spend time? I didn't say, do you love church? I pray you do love church. That's a wonderful thing. But you need to love the truth. And the truth will cause you to love the church. I didn't say, do you love K-Love and Christian music? That's a wonderful thing. Please use it. But that's not the same thing as loving the truth. Amen? Do you love conservative values more than the truth? Do you love the truth? We could go on and on and on, right, about do we love the truth? And see what happens here and what's happening with these Thessalonians. Remember, their hearts are growing anxious. They've got, they're being distracted. Fear is coming in. Worry, anxiety, emotions are coming in. And, and that can lead us to do some crazy things. In fact, there's an acronym that I like to use. Many people have told me about it. You can tell your neighbor about it. It's called TFA. Go over and touch your neighbor and tell them, do you know what TFA is? And then tell them, don't worry, it's not a bad word. You don't have to cuss in church. It's all right. TFA. Not TSA, TFA. We like to say thought feeling and action. You have a thought first, that leads to a feeling, which leads to an action. Thought, feeling, action. Right? You have this thought. Man, donuts are good for me. Even though I'm trying to eat healthier, but man, these donuts are good for me. And all of a sudden, after that thought is in your mind, there's something that goes on in your stomach. All of a sudden, you weren't hungry before, but now you're hungry. And you're like, thought leads to a feeling. Leads to an action. You just go on over to the, the table in the office. It's got all the donuts at them. Thought, feeling, action. You get a thought about a coworker who is attractive. It starts with that thought. And if you're not careful about that thought, that will lead to a feeling. And all of a sudden, you'll, you'll have these feelings that you're so in love with someone else who is not your spouse. And that, if you're not careful, will lead to an action. What's going on with these Thessalonians? They didn't know the truth, so their thoughts were all messed up. That led to feelings of anxiety, of worry, of, of freaking out. And that leads to actions 
things that they do to try to fix that. And so maybe you're here today and you're not worried about the end times, but you got some anxiety and some worries going on because your thoughts are not correct because you're, you, you don't have the truth in your mind. Jesus and the Bible says, Lord, I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I was talking with a guy the other day going through a divorce. Spouses left him and his mind feels like it has been put in a blender. He can't eat. He can't sleep. And I don't blame him. It's a very excruciating thing to, to, to go through. And his heart is being torn apart. I said, brother, what truth are you clinging to? What scriptures are you saturating your mind with? Because, man, Satan is just having a field day with you. And, and, and you start thinking about this. You start growing. And you can't. And he, and he actually passed out at work. And, um, and, uh, and, and he said, man, I just I said, you got to get your thoughts under control. I know this is hard, but the more truth you have in your mind, I said, get some verses and just carry them with you, my brother. And so whatever you're facing today, do you love the truth? Because what you think affects your feelings and then your actions, TFA. And so do be a lover of the truth. Fourthly, I'm moving on, moving on. Do love and do focus on the mission. Do focus on the mission. The mission, what mission? The mission that God gave all Christians, the mission to testify about his goodness, to testify about the gospel, the proclamation of the good news that all who would receive Jesus Christ could have their sins forgiven and wiped away when they repent from their sins and believe and trust in him. That's the mission, folks. That's what God has called every Christian to do. Do focus on the mission. Why? Why are we? No, because people are distracted talking about end times and, and, and getting out their flow charts and, and the book of Daniel and all this sort of stuff. And they, they got people who they know who are perishing. Look at verses 10 through 12. Verses 10 through 12 in that same chapter there, it says this. And with all wicked deception, all wicked deception, this is for those who are, what? Perishing. There's a whole bunch of people perishing, folks. Whole bunch of people perishing because they refused to love the truth. Therefore, verse 11, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? That's what you got to ask whenever you read the Bible. God sends them a strong delusion. Why is he sending them a strong delusion? Because they refused, what? To love the truth. That's why God is sending them a strong delusion. So that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had Notice the opposite of people who love the truth. The opposite of people who love the truth are people who had pleasure and unrighteousness. Notice how the feeling and, and the emotion is there. You can, you can take pleasure in truth or you can take pleasure in unrighteousness. There is a mission that God has given us. And, and there are people who are perishing and he's called us to be a witness and a testimony in their lives, to have a gospel conversation with someone who's in your circle of influence. Instead of being worried about the end times and the craziness, you need to be worried about, man, have I had that conversation with my loved one? This happened to the disciples in the book of Acts. Jesus had been crucified on the cross, and then he rose again, and then he, he, he's getting ready to leave them, right? And, and they're like, man, Jesus is back. His body's resurrected. This is awesome. And in, in the book of Acts chapter 1 says this. So when they had come together, they, they asked him. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What are they saying? Lord, is this your return? Are, are you going to do away with history? Will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Look what Jesus tells them. Same thing he always says. Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has set and fixed by his own authority, right? Same thing he said in the Gospel of Matthew. It's not for you to know. Why are you worried about the time? You have a task to do. You have a role to play. So he says in verse 8, 
but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And why do you get this power? So that you can look good and go to the gym? So that you can look good and impress people with all your Bible verses? No. You receive power so that the Holy Spirit can come upon you so you can be a witness. What is a witness? It's someone who simply testifies. I don't know everything, but I know this. God is good and he saved me. I once was a sinner and now he has changed me. I once was blind, but now I'm saying I'm just a witness. I don't have all the answers, co-worker. I don't have all the answers from her, but I am a witness. And, and I know that this is how I used to be. And now this is how I am. I can't explain that. God has changed me from the, from the inside out. I'm a witness. I'm just one beggar who found where the bread is, telling other beggars, here's where the bread line is. You can get free bread. You can get forgiveness for your sins. You can have hope for your future. You can have a purpose in life because God made you for a purpose and a reason. You don't have to try to find that purpose and create that purpose on your own. God gives it to you. You will be my witnesses. So be about the mission. Then lastly is this. Do be ready. Do be ready. As I said earlier, if, if you're not ready, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ through a personal relationship with him, this should cause you to be alarmed. This should call you to be shaken in your mind. But if you know him, you're, you're not really worried. Do be ready. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 42 through 44, he says, therefore, stay awake. Stay awake. What does that mean? I'm ready, right? When you're awake. For you do not know what day or hour the Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, verse 44, you also must be what? Ready for the Son of Man is coming an hour you do not expect. Sir, are you ready? Ma'am, are you ready for the return of Christ? Do you know for sure that your sins have been blotted out? What does that take? You say, Pastor, it's very simple. You do what a lot of us have done. There's not perfect people in this church. There are people who have realized they are sinful and they repented. That means they turned from their sins. They turned from being the boss of their own life. They turned from the old way of life and they just trusted and embraced Christ. That's what it really means to believe. Believe means to trust, to embrace Christ and his way of doing life. Have you done that? Because if you haven't done that, then you're not ready. And Christ could come at any moment and you wouldn't be ready. And see, the we often talk about, and I started the sermon with the, with the cults and, 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 and the crazy people who are deceiving people. And we're like, hey, I'm going to be on lookout for those cults, Pastor. But some of us are more deceived thinking, hey, Pastor, I'm a good person. I come to church all the time. I tithe. I do this. I'm a good person. I know God's going to let me in. I don't really need to do all the Jesus repenting and believing stuff, but I'm a good person. And some of us are deceived sitting in these chairs thinking you are truly a Christian when you're not. That's a greater deception. That's a scarier deception. Do you know God personally? Not know about him, but have you given him your life? If not, today is your day. God has called you. He's spoken to you. What do you need to do? Say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I turn from my sins and I embrace you. That's the greatest thing. So as we move through this week, as we wrap this up, believer, could you be encouraged more by Christ? Could, do you need to not fear? Do you need to not let your thoughts, feelings uh, get a hold of you, and, and do you need to love the truth? Where do you need to be strengthened this week? So I want to leave you with that question. And if you're here today and don't know Christ, we're going to pray here in just a second and like to help you out with that. So let's bow our heads as we prepare for our, our closing song and prepare to do business with the Lord. As our worship team will.
come forward and we'll be bowing our heads and closing our eyes. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you're not ready. Oh, would you get ready? If you know your heart is thumping in your chest, you know the Holy Spirit has been drawing you. We'd like to help you just lead you in a simple prayer. If, if that is you and you know that's you, God has been speaking to you, you might want to just say something like this in the quietness of your heart right there in your seat. You can say something like this. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you. I admit that I've sinned against you. I'm sorry for my sins. Sorry for my sins. As best I know how, I give you my life. As best I know how, I give you my life. I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that you rose from the dead. Help me, Jesus, to follow you all the days of my life. Help me, Jesus, to follow you all the days of my life. If that's you and you pray that prayer, there's no magic words, but God knows the desire of your heart. He's already given you the faith to believe according to Ephesians 2. He's drawing you. We want to ask you, check that on your connection card. I pray to receive Christ today because we want to help you take your next step. We want to help you get baptized and publicly acknowledge your faith. Maybe you just want to let the person you know who you came with today, they invited you. Maybe you just want to let them know, hey, man, I, I prayed that prayer today. Let them encourage you. Nobody's going to try to embarrass you. That's not what this is about. They just want to help you take your next step of growth. And I want to pray for the believers in the house, God, that you'd help our eyes to stay focused on you, not to be anxious and worried by all the craziness of our world, by, by fires and wildfires and hurricanes and destructions and coronaviruses, God. Would you continue to give us grace to keep our eyes on you? to not be alarmed, but to people who walk with courage. Because as I've heard so many people say, a scared world needs a courageous church. Oh, church, may we be courageous about the mission, about testifying to the gospel to others. God, we need your help to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. We're going to sing this response song. If there's a need on your heart, we could help you. Myself, some of our elders and deacons would be here. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to be reminded about no other cornerstone, no other help than Jesus this morning.